0: Good evening and greetings in Jesus' name. Greetings from Virginia. It's good to be here to worship with you all. There's a lot of familiar faces. There's a lot of faces that aren't familiar. And I'll also have to confess to some of you all who are are older, age has a way of changing what we expect to see in people. And I found myself struggling a little bit to look at a few of you all that are older and to reconcile how I remember maybe you all looking 20 or 30 years ago. It's a reminder that uh, time marches on. Also, I had to think... Leading up to the service, as we sat here, doesn't matter whether we're from Virginia or Georgia or South Carolina or Puerto Rico, we all worship the same God. And what a blessing when we come together like this that there is a bond of faith that draws us together. So, the topic that was assigned. The overall topic is a good conscience. This evening is developing a good conscience. And I want to say at the start that the more I looked at this subject, the larger it seemed and the less adequate I felt. I also had to think about times when... I sat in a service where a speaker was given a, an assigned topic and I came with a somewhat of a preconceived idea of what would be shared that evening. And I went home saying what he shared was not what I expected. So that may be what happens tonight. Because what I'm going to share tonight isn't 100% maybe what I thought I would share, And it's not near everything that could be shared. Because, as I said, the the more I looked, the more, the broader the subject appeared. And I know that there are things that could be said tonight that I will be leaving out. But I trust that God will use what I share this evening for his honor and glory and for our good. So, the theme of a good conscience is a phrase taken from Hebrews 13.18. And I looked that up and read that and ponder on that a little bit. And it says there, the writer states, pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. And there's a couple things I want to point out about that statement that stood out to me. So we don't know for sure who the writer of the book of Hebrews is. But I want us to understand that he is writing here in a collective sense. He didn't say that I trust that I have a good conscience. But rather he wrote in a plural sense, pray for us, for we trust. And we don't know who he was referring to. It could have been those that maybe were assisting him in writing this letter. Personally, I feel like he was probably referring to a group of church leaders because in the previous verse he addressed that they would uh, obey them that have the rule over you. But whatever the case, I want us to recognize that conscience is not just something that we deal with only on an individual level. Conscience has a plural aspect, and we'll look at that later on. Also, I was impressed in this verse that the writer expressed confidence of a good conscience. He says that we trust that we have a good conscience. And that phrase that we trust has been interpreted different ways in different translations. One translates it, we are confident. Another translates it, we are sure. And another, we are persuaded. I wanted to bring that out because it's clear from that statement that a good conscience is not something out there that is unattainable. It's something within our grasp. It's something that we can have. Turn to Acts 24, another interesting Verse, two verses I'll read there. Paul here is in the midst of giving his defense before Felix. He said this, we'll read, uh, actually we'll read three verses, verse 14 through 16. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets, and have hope towards God, which they themselves also allow, that there be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man." Paul points out two interesting things here about our conscience. He brings up the future resurrection of the dead, of the just and the unjust. And he's saying that it's because of that future expectation of a future judgment by a holy God that he strives to have a conscience. Void of offense. Our conscience that's blameless. So I believe here we see, want to see, I guess our main reason for maintaining a clear conscience. And it's because of that future expectation of a judgment by a holy God. But there's something else very interesting in these verses that stood out to me. In verse 16, he says, and herein do I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. So Paul was saying that I need to have a clear conscience in God's sight, but I also need to have a a conscience that is void of offense towards God the other people in the world that I relate to. So we need to exercise our conscience in relation to God as well as in relation to our fellow man. Not necessarily quite in the same way because when we're thinking of our conscience in regards to a holy God, we are talking about our conscience in relating to the one who is our judge, the one who is holy and without fault. And towards man, I believe that it is more that we live without offense. that we have a, a that we live a life that is leaving a clear witness for our Lord Jesus Christ Peter said in 1 Peter 3 15 and 16 but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. See Peter's there is talking about relating to others and being a witness, giving an answer for the faith that you have, and then he goes on to say in verse 16 having a good conscience. So there is there is an aspect of our conscience that relates to other people that must be exercised if we're going to leave a clear testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're going to give a clear witness for what the Gospel is all about. And just as an example of that, I became aware this week of a situation in a conservative Mennonite church where a man greatly offended somebody from outside the church by some things he said. And it, it is, it is, it's a situation that somebody, I think, is going to have to work through. And see, that, that person, and it, and it easily could have been unwittingly, Maybe something said in jest that the other person didn't take the same way that the speaker intended it. But a witness was damaged. So that that brother is, is not living in a clear conscience towards that man from outside of the church. So I bring that up because we need to think of our conscience in a broader terms than it's between me and God. No, it's between me and God and my brothers and sisters and my neighbors. So I guess that's kind of a little introduction. So what is your conscience? It would be interesting to let you all try to define what a conscience is. There are terms that we use for something like a conscience. See, our conscience isn't something that we can see. We can't touch, feel, taste, smell. You know, it's not something that we sense with our five senses, but yet we talk about it as a reality, and so it's kind of hard to define. We've used that term; we've heard that term used from little up. We we understand what we're talking about when we talk about our conscience. So I went to my trusty Merriam-Webster dictionary and copied a few of the definitions. From there, the first thing is it says is that it is a sense or consciousness, and I put in to be aware of, the moral goodness or blameworthiness of one's own conduct, intentions, or character, together with a feeling of obligation to do right or wrong. So that definition is saying that it is an awareness of the moral goodness or blameworthiness of our conduct, our intentions, our character, along with a feeling of obligation to do what is right. Second definition is a faculty, power, or principle enjoining, and that word enjoining means to direct or impose good acts. So it's, it's something that directs or imposes upon us the, the desire to do good things rather than wrong things. So in simple terms, we could say that our conscience is simply an inner awareness of right and wrong that can or should be directing our choices and our decisions and our actions in life. I think it was this morning that I realized that there was something I came across that I failed to get in my notes. And I'm just going to say the, the, the basics of it. This was from a Bible dictionary and the the idea that they had of our conscience was to, to think like God or to think along with God. And so Our conscience, if it is developed correctly, is helping us to think as God would think. To direct us to do and to say and to act in ways that are God-like, that are pleasing to Him. Now as I studied this, another thing that came out, we're going to hear these terms a good bit tonight and some tomorrow, that there's two aspects to our conscience. And I guess I realized this, but, but reading some of this put it in perspective, put terms to, to some of these thoughts. There is the antecedent conscience and the sequential conscience. Now, the antecedent conscience is spelled A-N-T-E. You've probably heard the term before, antediluvian, which means before the flood, or antebellum, before the war. So our antecedent conscience precedes an action. It speaks to us before we do something. Says, Don't do that, or yes, this is good. The sequential conscience follows an action. And I'm sure that all of us understand what our sequential conscience is and how it works. We do something and maybe immediately we're stricken that that was wrong. Or it could be we do something and sometime later our conscience speaks to us and says, what you did back there was wrong. That is the sequential conscience in action. And we'll talk about this a little later, but why is it that sometimes our conscience doesn't bother us when we do something? But then a a day, a week, a month, a year later, that thing starts to roll in our minds and we think, that wasn't right. Does our conscience have a lag? No. It has to do with the development of our conscience. And we'll talk about that further here this evening. Thank you. But I want us to realize that these two aspects of our conscience are both very important. And in many ways, they, they work together. But most of all, I want us to understand the importance of our antecedent conscience working before we do we make a choice. Because that is what keeps us from sin. That's what keeps us from saying that hurtful thing to our neighbor. Or whatever it might be. It goes before to guide us in the right way. If we have an antecedent conscience that is well trained and active and we're sensitive to it, it's going to spare us so much grief and, and, and pain in our life. imagine you've all heard the saying that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Think of your antecedent conscience being the ounce of prevention. It prevents us from taking that wrong step. But similarly, our sequential conscience maybe is the pound of cure. That when we do wrong, when we do make a a bad choice, when we do sin, Our sequential conscience comes along and works to clean up the mess that we've created through acting in ignorance or ignoring, squelching our antecedent conscience. We should be thankful that our conscience is something that guides us in the right way as well as corrects us when we have gone the wrong way. But let's, let's endeavor to be sensitive and enhance our antecedent conscience so we don't have to face the regret of looking back at where we have done wrong. So how do we develop our conscience? I already mentioned the idea of our conscience developing. Uh, Our conscience can't act without knowledge. For those of you that are parents, think about a young child. We have to teach our children what is right and wrong. And in many ways, when we're doing that, we're helping to train their conscience. But I think that this thing of developing our conscience and training our conscience to know the right, to know the good, and to train ourselves to be sensitive to it is a lifelong endeavor. But looking at the... The 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 basest level, I'll say, of our conscience. I'd like to read from Romans two. Romans two. So so in Romans 1, Paul was writing about the the degradation of mankind, the the downward spiral into sin. But then here in in Romans 2, he, he speaks a little more of in a a little different way. And in in verses 14 and 15, he says something very interesting. He's speaking about the Jews and, and how that they need to be obeying what they have, the knowledge they have. But in verse 14 and 15, he says, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness in their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. He is saying here that these Gentiles that do not have the law of God, God did not speak and give them His word. In spite of that, they still have Within their hearts a law written. And he says their conscience bears witness. And their thoughts, meanwhile, accusing or excusing. See, doesn't that sound like their conscience is working, either accusing or excusing what they have done, saying it's good or it's bad? Somehow, and we don't understand. All these things, but somehow God has implanted, even within those that do not know Him, a certain sense of right and wrong. But I think we would all agree tonight that that sense of right and wrong that the ungodly may have is very incomplete. God's desire for us is to know so much more of Him than what that level of, of consciousness is. So if that sense of right and wrong that is somewhat of a naturally implanted sense is incomplete and insufficient, how do we gain the The knowledge of right and wrong to train our conscience. And if you're looking today for a definition of what is right and what is wrong, there are a lot of people in the world today that will tell you what is right and what is wrong. The problem is they're espousing man's definition of right and wrong, not God's. So we need to understand that it doesn't matter what man says is right and wrong. What matters is what God says is right and wrong. And we find that knowledge in God's Word. So in Romans 1, Paul says that We can look at nature and see God. We can look at at the creation and understand things about God. But yet, God gave us so much more when He gave us His Word. And so the answers for us to know what is right and wrong and to train our conscience is in God's Word. We need to be committed to studying, to knowing God's Word. To making the knowledge of Him through His Word a priority in our lives. And I'm not talking about a couple minutes a day. I'm talking about being students of the Word, reading the Word, meditating on it. as well as being active, supportive members of your local church. Because there's so much good biblical teaching and and instruction that happens within the church that has blessed me and blessed so many other people. And it helps us to understand God and who He is and how He views right and wrong. And it trains our conscience and how to respond. Another source of training our conscience is the Holy Spirit. John sixteen thirteen says, Howbeit, when he the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. So the Spirit will guide us in all truth. That verse also tells us that the Spirit is not going to speak of Himself, but He will speak of what He hears, what He hears from the Father. So we need to remember that the Spirit speaking will never go against God's written Word. But as we look into God's Word and study it and open ourselves to to Him and to His Spirit, the Spirit will work and will guide our understanding and will shape our conscience to help us to understand more what is right and what is wrong. So if we want to have a good, healthy conscience, I believe that we must be immersing ourselves in the Word of God and opening ourselves to His Spirit. Keeping ourselves open to the Spirit's instruction as well as the guidance of, of the church as it works under the authority of Christ and the Holy Spirit. We also need to accept what God says in His Word and as as he, His Spirit reveals things to us in faith. When we accept things in faith, we apply them. We do them. But you know, we're human. And a natural human tendency is when we're looking at Scripture and there's something jumps out at us that... that makes our conscience start speaking and saying, here's an area you need to change or you need to grow in. Our human tendency is to figure out a way to justify where we're at, to justify our actions. It's kind of like our devotional this evening. The one man justified himself. The other submitted himself to the way of Christ. And just as an illustration of that, if you're reading the scripture, Spirit's speaking to you, and you start to think, you know, I have a lot of room to grow in submitting to the authorities in my life. Spirit's telling you that. Our natural human inclination is to say that those authorities in my life, are irrational. They're not fair. They don't understand. And see, when we do that, we're simply making excuses for what God's Word says and what the Holy Spirit is telling us. And see, if we do that, how are we training our conscience? We're training our conscience according to our personal opinion, our personal assessment of ourselves. Not upon what God says in his word. And you know, we can be as... as Bible-believing Christian people, we can be so quick to do that. But yet we turn around and we look at what's going on out in the world today and we decry the fact that the world is turning towards a relative truth, that what I define as truth is true. And as long as I, as long as it's true for me, it's okay if I do it. And you know, when God's Word and His Spirit speak and I say, yeah, but, but you don't understand that the, the authorities in my life are, are irrational, so I don't have to obey them. We're doing the exact same thing that the world is doing by defining our own truth. So I say if we want to develop our conscience well, we must hold the directives from God's word in high regard. And when His Spirit speaks, when His word speaks, we need to take action. Or else our consciences wind up trained in accordance with our own assessment of ourselves rather than God's assessment. So we can train our conscience in a good way by informing it through God's word and His directives, but we can also harm our conscience. There's a number of scriptures, and I'm not going to look at. I only look at one of these, but 1 Timothy two four says speaks of people who have their consciences seared with a hot iron. Hebrews 10.22 speaks of those that have an evil conscience. And Titus 1.15 speaks of those who have a defiled conscience. And I'd like to turn there to Titus 1 and read verses 15 and 16. because there's something there that I think is important for us to see. Titus 1, 15 and 16. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. Paul is saying here to Titus that unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. And their mind and conscience is defiled. And I think he's speaking of people who have filled their minds with things that are impure. And that is a sure way to defile your conscience that's what's happening in the world today they're filling them their minds with all kinds of filth and it's it's poisoning their conscience and then they're doing despicable things in excusing it And that is the same thing that will happen to you and I if we follow after the ways of the world. I guarantee you that if you listen to the world's music, and if you watch their videos and their movies, and if you follow their sports heroes, and if you participate in their politics, those things are going to start to creep into your, into your mind and they will defile your conscience and it will change the course of your life. If we're going to have a good conscience, we must be willing to be God's called out. Or as He says there in Peter, His peculiar. We need to be called out from what's going on out there. We need to recognize that those those things are not normal. And we need to fill our minds with good things, the things of God. If we don't, we could easily end up at the same point the nominal Christian church is at today and the things that they are allowing and the things they are approving of. See in verse 16 there, he says that they profess that they know God but in works, they deny Him. So they're professing that they know God, but they're doing things that God says you can't do and know me. And why? Because their consciences are defiled. And so they explain why it's right. God forbid that we would ever go there. that we would be grounded on God's Word and on God's commands, that our consciences would be molded according to His principles. I want to as well challenge you parents here tonight to do your part in helping your children to develop a good conscience. And there's multiple things that we can do as parents. Parents. But I think one of the most important things that we can do as parents to help our children develop good consciences is to develop good consciences ourselves as parents. Our children need to see us being sensitive to the commands of God, to His directives, to the leading of the Holy Spirit. if they can see us patterning that in our lives, they're going to be so much more likely to develop that in their own life. But if our children see us pushing back against biblical teachings or pushing back against the standards of the church or pushing back against the laws of the land. All we're doing is demonstrating to them that we can do what we want. When it's it's inconvenient to do what we should, we just do what we want. And we will teach them to grow up with a weak or maybe even a defiled conscience. They need to see us being sensitive to our own conscience, sensitive to the commands and the directives of God and His Spirit. We as well should should encourage them when they show a sensitivity. If their conscience bothers them about something, don't in any way belittle them, but help them to find Forgiveness. Help them to find uh, a clear conscience. Sometimes a child may be bothered about something that isn't necessarily something that's really that wrong. Help them to understand that. Help them to work through those things. We're going to talk about this a little bit more tomorrow, but in working with your children and raising them, help them to respect the consciences of others. We don't always all come out at the same place on everything. We don't all have the same level of spiritual maturity and understanding. And so sometimes we see somebody doing something that we might not agree with and you know our children are, can be quick to pick up on those things. Help them to respect others' consciences, where others are at. Because I can almost guarantee you, and I will mention this again tomorrow, but, but when someone else's conscience is holding them to a higher standard than your conscience is, I can almost guarantee you that you have something to learn from that person. Help your children to learn that lesson rather than looking down on someone who who holds a a different standard. Our children are the church of tomorrow. And if we help them to develop a good conscience, a sensitivity to, to God and his directives, we are helping to build the church of tomorrow. So in closing, I believe that if we want to have a good conscience, if we're going to develop a good conscience, we must be personally committed and personally submitted to following God's directives from His Word, from His Holy Spirit, and from the church. And as I said, so much more could be said. I feel like that I'm, I'm leaving a lot unsaid. But tomorrow, Lord willing, we'll look at this a little further, look at a few other aspects. So God bless you as you live for him in good conscience.